Hi, Grace West. Happy birthday. Hope you're doing well. All right, we're going to uh, take some time now. We're going to get into God's Word together. And uh, Sean's going to come and read the Word of God this morning. Thanks. Uh, Today's reading is taken from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me, my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sean. So I'm in an intersection. I am waiting to turn left. The light is green. And ahead of me is one other car. And they're not turning. Even though there's no traffic coming in the opposite direction, they're, they're just, they're not turning. And so I give a, a polite honk. You know the one I'm talking about? It's not an angry, aggressive, it's just 
you know, a gen- I think we should have two horns actually on our cars. Just a, you know, a friendly honk and a and an aggressive honk. This was a friendly honk, and uh, it was just coming. Let's go, come on. But they still didn't move, and um, I honked again. This time it was it wasn't angry, but it wasn't exactly friendly either. But they still wouldn't move, even though there's no traffic coming in the opposite direction. And so I think to myself, maybe I should get out of my car and go over and knock on the window. And I didn't, because <laughs> that would be bad. But they wouldn't move. And then finally, the light turns red. And uh, they drive slowly through the intersection. <clears throat> and I follow them. And as I drove by, I just had to look at them. And I just wanted to ratify and confirm that all of the, the prejudices and the ideas, the, the mental image I had created was actually true. It wasn't, of course, but I don't like to wait. You don't like to wait, do you? None of us likes to wait. And we don't like to wait when things are relatively insignificant, like uh, turning left. But what about the really big things? What about the things that we've been waiting on for a while? What about the things that are super important to us? You know, the things that we've been praying about and asking God for, and he just seems to be taking his time, and his delays seem so unreasonable, don't they? But are they? But are they? And could it be that he has a very good reason for delaying? I think, I think so. And I think our passage will teach us this, this morning, that he delays in order to grow our faith in who he is. And the way that he does that, and I think we'll see this here in our passage this morning, he does it in, in, in a couple of ways. He delays to help us to see him more clearly, and he also delays to help us to trust him more fully. Okay? So first, the unreasonable delays of God are there to help us to see him more clearly. So Jesus and his disciples are now coming back to the other side of the lake. Remember, they got in a boat and they went to one side of the lake. And now they're coming back to the other side of the lake. And Jesus and his men arrive at the shore. And a man named Jairus comes to him. And Jairus is a synagogue ruler, which means that he had a very important job in his day. He oversaw everything that took place in the synagogue, the place of worship. And he made sure that worship was ready and everything was copacetic. A big job. He's a big deal. He is a guy who is widely respected. He's been chosen by the community for this important task. And he has a name which is important. His name is Jairus. Jairus has a problem, though. And it doesn't matter, you know, how great he is esteemed. It doesn't matter about the wealth he has. It doesn't matter about the way that people see him because right now he's got a problem. And his problem is that his daughter is about to die. He's frantic. And so he he comes to Jesus. 
He comes to Jesus on behalf of his 12-year-old daughter, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he's begging him to come and heal his daughter. And Jesus begins to move, right? He, he begins to move towards his house, but then he stops. And he stops because something kind of weird is happening within him. He feels power going out from him. And he scans the crowd and he looks around the crowd and he said, who, who touched me? His disciples were like, what are you talking about? Like, There's there are hundreds of people here. How, how could you know someone touched your, your cloak? He goes, someone touched my cloak. Who touched, who touched my cloak? And this woman emerges from the crowd. She has no name. She's nameless. And this is a woman who's, she's had it hard. It's been rough. For the past 12 years, she's been living the most nightmarish life. This is a woman who has some kind of gynecological, is that the word? Gynecological issue? Is that the word? She's been bleeding for 12 years. And life has been brutal, and it's been miserable, and in every way. I mean, she is just so tapped out. She's tapped out physically. I mean, you bleed for 12 years. You're just going to be tapped out physically. And she's just dragging herself around She's tapped out physically. She's tapped out financially. She's gone to the doctors, the best doctors, and, and nobody can help her, and nobody has made her better, and she's only gotten worse, and in doing so, she has spent her life savings. She's financially tapped out, and she's emotionally tapped out. She's emotionally tapped out because in that day, the culture said that you were unclean if you had this condition, and so she had to stay away from people. Was she married? Maybe. Don't know. If she was, she had to stay away. Did she have kids? We don't know. She had to stay away if they did. She lives on the outskirts of town. She lives as a pariah. She's tapped out emotionally, and she's tapped out spiritually, I think. Because she's not allowed to go to synagogue. She's not allowed to go to temple. She's not allowed to participate in the worship of God because she's fundamentally unclean. And in that day, if you're unclean for 12 years, then God is saying something to you, as they thought. This is a cursed woman. And so she is absolutely tapped out. And still she thinks to herself, you know, I don't have to touch Jesus, just his the edge of his garment, and if I can do that, then I'll be well. And so she pushes through the crowd, and she just touches the hem of his garment. And as soon as she does, she knows that she's been healed. She knows it. And our poor brother, Jairus is just sort of standing there. He's kind of tapping his feet. He's looking at his watch. He's panicking. His anxiety is going through the roof. He knows that his daughter is at the edge 
of life. She's about to die. And Jesus is just taking his sweet time. And it, it just seems so unreasonable. You know? The poor guy. These, these stories are linked together. They're, they're just, they're, they're combined. They're intertwined. And they have to be. They're supposed to be. We're, we're supposed to look at these two people who are vastly different in many ways, aren't they? I mean, Jairus is a guy with a name. And she is a woman without a name. He's a guy and she's a woman. And in that day, the men would wake up and their first prayer of the morning was, God, maker of the universe, I thank you that I was not made a woman. So that gives you a sense of how women were viewed in that day. He's got money. She has none. He is loved and esteemed by the community. She is marginalized and shunned by hers. In so many ways, they are so vastly different. And yet, when all is said and done, when you strip it all back and you just go right to the bottom, there is no difference between them at all. They are both broken. They are both needy. They are both desperate for grace. And Jesus moves to both of them equally to give grace. Question. When you, when you think about these two people, who do you think was more deserving of a healing? Honestly. Which, which of these two figures really kind of captures your heart? You know, if anyone deserved a healing, which, which of them was it? You know? It gets you thinking, doesn't it? And I, I asked the question that way because I think that when it comes to the unreasonable delays of God, that the oftentimes we feel like we deserve better, don't we? We feel that way. I know I felt that way. Did I ever tell you about, okay, I'll tell you a story. Did I ever tell you about the time when I took a break from pastoral ministry like many years ago? I had been, you know, planting churches and pastoring them for, you know, a long time. And uh, I just had a, a kind of a crisis of faith, an existential crisis. And I had to like just step away and get things sorted out. So I took a year and a half off and I, um, you know, I did small contracting jobs and I just, you know, I, I did what it took to make money. You know, I washed windows, I cleaned out eaves troughs. I'm up on top of this roof, you know, picking out tennis balls and dead birds from this eave trough. And I'm 40 years of age. And I just kind of collapse on the roof and God, are you serious? Like I, I have slaved for you. I've served your, your idiotic sheep for so long. For what? For what? For this? Like, I don't know what's next. And I remember I heard a voice. I'm, I'm not saying it was God. I'm not saying it was God. But I think God used it. And it was something like, son, that's not how this grace thing works. Okay? I don't owe you anything. 
but I love you. And I'll take care of you. And I think we have to get to that place where we see his love and we see his heart more clearly than we ever have before. Because I think if we only see a God who has to give me what I want, because I kind of deserve better, we're going to get pretty broken and bitter. We're going to become pretty angry. It's going to poison us. It's going to sour us. I think God leads us to this place of delay to bring us to the end of ourselves and the end of that category. Where we can finally let God be God and see his unconditional grace, which is there for everybody. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you have. It doesn't matter who you are or what you don't have. You could be like Jairus. You could be like this woman. His grace is for all. And his heart is for all. That's a radically different category. You know what it's called? It's called grace. It's called loving kindness. And that's the God, that's the Savior we see here in this passage. So, how are you doing with the waiting? How's that going? Do you find yourself angry? Do you find yourself disillusioned with God? I hope you're disillusioned, to be honest. I think disillusion is just a great place to be. I think illusion is a bad place to be. Illusion is seeing things that aren't there. It's, it's seeing God in a way that's not true. But disillusionment, that's when you no longer see things the way that you have that were wrong. And now you're in a place for faith to really take off. Where are you this morning as you wait? And could it be, I think it is, I think our story bears out this morning that he's a God who just loves, loves to bring us to a place where we are so desperate and so needy and we have to turn to him. And then he finally shows up and shows us that all along he has been this God of great, big grace. And our sin and our suffering are the great equalizers, aren't they, friends? If we turn to a God who turns towards us, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, praise God for Jesus. You don't want to spend this time being angry. You don't want to spend this time that way Do you see Jesus here? Do you see him coming full of grace and coming to us in our delays to heal us deep down and deep through? Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing. You know, he he just loves to allow us to experience these delays so that we can see him more clearly. Do you see him more clearly this morning? Isn't he great? But there's more here, and this is what's so beautiful about this story. Not only does he want us to see him more clearly, but he wants us to trust him more deeply. Let's go back to the story, shall we? So this woman comes out of the crowd, and she falls down at Jesus' feet, and she begins to just break open and tell her story 
her whole story. And Jesus is listening to her. He's listening so carefully to her. And then he says this. It's astounding. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. You are, you're healed. Go in peace. And I, I, I couldn't help myself this week. I, like, where have I heard that before, daughter? So I look it up. I couldn't find another place in the New Testament where Jesus Christ called a woman daughter. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm not saying he didn't do it often. I'm just saying I don't know of a single place in the New Testament where you hear Jesus calling this woman daughter. I've got, I've got a bunch of daughters, you know. I've got a granddaughter. We have another one on the way, another grandkid on the way. Not, not, not through this one over here, but um, at least I don't think so. And I might have another granddaughter. Who knows? I got lots of daughters. I'll tell you about my daughters. Okay. So I love them. And I, you know, I have pet names for all of them. And every day I am hugging them. I'm a, I'm a nuisance. I'm a pest. Every day I'm hugging them and I'm kissing them. I drive them crazy. And the worst thing you could ever do would be to break into my home at 3 o'clock in the morning. I love my daughters. You know, as Jesus listens to this woman pour out her story and as she describes a life of marginalization... Jesus speaks a word into her life, a word that she needed to hear. You are daughter. You're my daughter. You are the daughter of your father in heaven. You who have been on the outskirts, you who have been pushed away, you who have been shunned, you have, you have never felt brought in and closed these past 12 years, I bring you in and I say to you, daughter. And Jairus. They get home to Jairus' house, and they, they, they get in there, Jesus, a few of the disciples. There are these people who are wailing and screaming and mourning because they had hired professional mourners because in that day, in a hot climate, you had to move fast. And Jesus said, this, this child is not dead. She's just sleeping, and they're like laughing at him, and they just, he just dismisses them, goes in, and he takes this little girl's hand limp hand and he lifts her up through death into life and then she eats something and you know I I looked up that phrase Talitha Kum it's, a, it's an Aramaic saying because Jesus spoke Aramaic I don't know if you know that and again, it's the only place in the New Testament that this is used. And it's kind of like, uh, wake up, little girl. And I, I've done this before with my girls. I mean, not a miracle, not a resurrection, but I mean, I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I have sat on the edge of their bed and I have rubbed their back and stroked their hair when it was time to get up. And I just said, wake up, honey. It's a new day. Yeah, you can trust someone like that, can't you? You can trust somebody like that. 
You can trust somebody while you're waiting. You can trust someone like that during those delays. Because he's so good. He's so compassionate. Isn't he? Some of you are waiting for something this morning. Right? You've been waiting for a while. And I'd love to stand here and tell you that the very thing that you're waiting for, you're going to get. I can't do that. I won't do that to you. I mean, I, I believe in healing. I pray for those of you who are sick. Jeff and I, every week, get together and pray for those of you who are not well by name. And we pray as though you're going to get well. But you know what? We also know that we don't always get well. There isn't always a resurrection in this life. There will be one day. And we know there will be because Jesus Christ waited on that cross. He waited when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no answer. There could be no answer because he was busy bearing the weight of the sin of the world, your sin, and taking it on himself and taking it away. And the father was silent. He had to be silent. But he waited in faith so that you might wait in faith with confidence this morning and trust him. That's a great savior. And he's calling for faith this morning. In light of who he is and what he has done, he is calling for faith. What does faith need to look like for you this morning? Maybe, maybe it needs to look like this. Tell me what you think. Maybe it needs to look like not hiding. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it needs to look like, like coming to Jesus, coming out of the shadows, coming out of that place of hiding and letting Jesus bring you into his glorious light of love and heal you all the way through. Maybe it looks like just surrendering all of your dreams, all of your hopes, all of your ambitions, and just handing them to him and saying, you're good, you're wise, you know what's best. I can't see it all, but I trust you because I know your heart. You've shown that to me. And so I just lay it before you. What does faith look like for you right now? What could it look like in light of who Jesus is? We're people who need to wait. As a church, we need to wait. We're going to be waiting. We're waiting together. We're waiting for a venue. We're waiting for next steps. We're waiting for so many things. We're waiting on God to sort of shine and, and cause the gospel to break forth in the West End, we have to wait. It is good that we wait. We wait upon the Lord who is good and merciful, and we wait together in faith. We trust him for what's next. 
And we trust that God will at last move in our time and in our day, in our own lives and in our life as a congregation. It turns out that his unreasonable delays are not unreasonable at all. That there's a really good reason for the delays. To bring us to a place of abject, absolute dependence. Where we begin to see him so much more clearly. And find our hearts wanting to trust him more deeply and fully. And when that is happening, we are exactly where God wants us. And we will see the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning, we wait. And Lord, we, and you know, it is hard to wait. We want what we want when we want it, Father, and we don't want to wait. But you and your wisdom and love call us to wait so many times in this life. Thank you for the waiting. Thank you that you don't give us everything we want when we want it. We would never grow in our faith. It's the waiting, Father, that causes us, helps us to grow. We need to grow, Father. Help us to wait. Help us to wait well. Help us not to wait begrudgingly or angrily. Help us to see you and who you really are. Help us to see your love shining in the face of Jesus. Help us to remember that you don't change. The same Jesus we see in this passage is the same Jesus who is here today. I am the Lord your God. I do not change. And Father, we pray that you would help us to, and that you would call out faith. Whatever faith needs to look like individually, and Father, whatever faith needs to look like as, as a body, as a, as, a, as a community. What do you want us to do? How do you want us to believe? Teach us, Father. Show us. And help us to keep our eyes on you. On Jesus the Christ, our Savior. Amen.